welcome to Keyframes, a podcast about anime. I'm your host, Ben Halliburton, and with me today is Duncan. Hey there. Jeff. Yellow. And for the first time in, I think, five years, we have a guest. Uh, this is my friend, Katie. Hello. Uh, Katie and I uh, know each other from way back when, and she is uh, a big Utena fan. And I thought that since... Uh, the preponderance of years and knowledge make analyzing such a deep and intricate show kind of burdensome. I thought that we could bring in someone who really knows their shit. So we watched um, what is either called the Apocalypse Saga or the Akio Saga and the Apocalypse Saga, which uh, constitute episodes 25 through 39 of the uh, show Revolutionary Girl Utena. The last core and change, because um, we don't we don't quite end up there. But uh, yes, uh, we'll be talking about our themes and character impressions, uh, the visuals and sound, and then just nice stuff. The tradition that we established when we did the Monogatari series watch, which I hope that Katie hasn't listened to, <laughs> or anybody uh, else really, or, <laughs> anybody, even us. Uh, so yes. Uh, I'm going to go ahead, if no one else wants to, I'll go ahead and do a quick synopsis of the events of the Apocalypse Saga, as I'll be calling it henceforth, because I think that the distinction between the Akio Saga and the Apocalypse Saga is silly, uh, and Wikipedia's wrong. Um, and if it was Ikuhara, they got it from Ikuhara's wrong, too. I'm sure that he would be entertained by that statement. <laughs> but yes, so uh, after the events of the Black Rose Saga, after Mikage has been dispelled as the shade he is, and Nemura Memorial Hall has been reduced to uh, rubble and ash again, a, a new round of duels begin. Except for Saonji, the first one, all of these duelists uh, come with their own partner, a sort of substitute Rose Bride. And they are all of the original student council duelists, plus Ruka, who comes back to duel and then die, the, uh, the former fencing team captain. Um, as these duels happen, uh, Utena, who has moved into Akio's residence as the acting chairman of Otori Academy, uh, because Anthi wants to live there, or Akio wants Anthi to live there, uh, she becomes closer to him, and eventually, despite a large amount of trepidation, initiates a romantic relationship with him. Uh, for Because of that relationship, she decides uh, to give up the path of becoming a prince, but seeing, seeing Anthi's situation, and with some encouragement from Anthi, she decides to visit, uh, to take up the invitation from End of the World, to revolutionize the world, and meets end of the world at the Rose Gate. And of course, as everyone figured out, probably from the first time Akio appeared on screen, <laughs> Akio is both her childhood idol, I guess, Dios, uh, and the uh, and end of the world. Um, Akio takes Utena's sword from her um, and breaks it on the Rose Gate, thereby concluding that it is impossible for Utena to open the Rose Gate, as he suspected all along. Um, and then Utena opens it herself with her bare hands um, and tries to free Anthi, but is pierced by the Swords of Judgment that, uh, that circle around Anthi as the fabled witch who locked away the prince. Uh, and then after a time skip of an unspecified amount of time, or maybe it is specified... Uh, memory, it's <laughs> memory like, it's doesn't like a, completely it's like a few serve weeks. there. 
Yeah. Um, Utena has already begun to fade from the memories of her friends and classmates, uh, but when Akio decides to start up the duels again to find a new person whose sword he can steal to break on the Rose Gate, Auntie says, nope, you can play Prince and I'm leaving. And she leaves. And then we get like a nice scene of her just like walking uh, <laughs> during the credits. Uh, I apologize for that incredibly inadequate synopsis. <laughs> but uh, yeah, what did y'all think of the third core of Revolutionary Girl Utena, Shoujo Kakume Utena? I mean... Uh, so this will probably get me a, 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 a another dirty look from Ben and, and possibly one from Katie as well. But famously, I didn't like Utina the first time I watched it. So mm-hmm. coming back to it for the second time and getting a lot out of this conclusion and enjoying it, I, I'm really glad I have come back and given it, it more consideration because I think it does a great job in unifying its themes and... Which, well, we're, we're going to have a large part of this podcast <laughs> devoted to, so I'm not going to try and summarize that at this point. But I don't think... Well, the funny, quite... the funny thing is I, I think that it's really interesting to read what people think the theme of Utena is. Mm. Um, I was randomly linked to... Because I was looking at the, uh, the text from last night, Utena blog, and he uh, <laughs> was very excited that, uh, that Mike watches... Things, that like really old internet institution he watched Utena and he has this long essay about how about how Utena is about the power of choice and how it is about um, the decision to get up after you've been defeated and it's about about the ability to choose to be a prince and I didn't see that as the core <laughs> theme and I was impressed I was impressed and appreciative that someone could write like 2,000 words about a theme that I think is largely like ancillary to to what the show is actually about uh in my opinion and if i were to write if i did write 2400 words i think that a lot of people would be like that's not what the show is about i think it's <laughs> the greatest achievement of ikohara in the show that he makes a show that's ambiguous as he wants it to be i think if you see him in his like interviews and materials yeah i i part i i mentioned pre precast that this arc has made me reconsider the previous arc, Black Rose Saga. And part of the way it's made me reconsider that is that maybe uh, it was a bit, we had actually a bit of a self-insert antagonist for that at arc. That that was a very meta arc. And I, I feel like you're not supposed to have a definite reading of this story by the end. I think it is deliberately a- ambiguous. And I think mm-hmm. the part of what the Nero Hall um, arc was talking about now in retrospective, I see is the futility of trying to tie down a story of making it definite and, and that they are very nebulous things that everyone brings a different viewpoint and set of histories and um, eyes that you see it with. So I think it was very definitely setting us up and saying, you're, you're, you're all going to have very different thoughts about where this is going, but that's good. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that touches on, on two things that I particularly like, which is first is that, especially in the third arc, the repetition of eternity as a concept and miracles as a concept reaches its fever pitch, which is incredible because uh, 90% of the dialogue in, say, 
jury's first episode is just miracles. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but it's interesting that people are that a lot of people, for me at least, the, sh- the show is largely about these narratives that we create, um, and in many cases the toxicity of them, and how we look for eternity, something that lasts forever, and miracles, something that exceeds our expectations or even the the, the rules of the world. Um, that we see these as a way. Uh, to protect our narratives from being proven wrong. And we have a villain who his, his, well, he has, he does many extremely shitty things. Uh, It's, it's not even with, within my ability to enumerate them. Uh, It would just be a podcast about that, but his, his, I think his fundamental misdeed uh, uh, is that he, he talks unceasingly about, about, eternity and miracles and then he's called on a on the joke radio show and given a multiple choice answer about which of these is a turtle which of these is a miracle he begs off the question he doesn't actually know anything and he's trapped in this narrative where he's the only person who can save Auntie to the point that he stopped someone else from saving from trying to save her uh because it's so it's just so ingrained that that's that that's what he's doing um just like this this firm belief uh that that only he has access to reality that since mm. he controls the planetarium he's the only person who actually knows what's going on um and yet he he's obviously delusional he says that anthe has free will and that she chose to be the rose bride of her own of her own free will mm-hmm. and that's the only way she can be happy anymore and we've been repeatedly demonstrated every single moment throughout the entire show that anthe has no free will and is only able to express it through these like brief grasping moments um, often when pushed by Utena herself or by the circumstances surrounding them. I think like the f- very first duel of the the arc is very important in that because uh, I I don't think you mentioned it, it but because uh, it's, it's, it's both A, a background detail and B, an inc- incredibly important thing as often happens with U- Utena is that <laughs> in, the, in the first duel, um, the Sword of Dios, which has kind of been like the favour of the prince bestowed upon Utena throughout the arc so far, disappears. And mm-hmm. she's left defenceless against um, uh, Saranji. And what happens then is that Anthe intervenes. Anthe shows free will and concern for Utena and draws some draws a sword which is a, which we it's essentially her sword it's essentially the sword of anthe even yeah. the rest of the series um and akio is not happy about that he is like okay no what are you doing here <laughs> and like it, it you at the end of the episode he's so far when we've had glimpses of the interactions of him and anthe it's been he almost it's almost a casual assumption that he has power over her that he has such privilege and um sort of he's so used to this position where she shows no resistance to whatever he does that he suddenly becomes possessive over this small thing he doesn't understand that his role as the prince isn't actually working quite how he assumed it would for utina and he mm-hmm. he you see him he, him sort of grab Anthe to him at the end of the episode and her sort of like resist a bit and like until now it's that you haven't got that from their interactions and that that first little flare of defiance is just like this in these two tiny moments is great and I I love just how 
how frustrated that tiny thing makes it's Akio. And and meanwhile, for the rest of for like the next half dozen episodes, almost every single episode, Auntie struggles to tell Utna something. She's like, "Listen, Utna," and it's like, "What?" He's like, "Never mind." And it just happens over and over again as she, as we see her try to like exert and, this kind of free and will. How that ends? Um, yeah, I want to skip ahead to it, but we shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> nope, sorry, we got rules. Uh, Jeff, how about you? As the other person who didn't really have uh, a great grounding in uh, Ikuhara One Hundred and One yeah. before this. Yeah, so this is the first Ikahara show that I've watched, but not the first that I've finished. That was Sarazanme. And famously, I, you know, will go hog wild when I think a show is steeped in symbolism and themes and everything else. Uh, like, you know, for example, the Monogatari. But the big difference here is that where like Nisio Isin and Shinbo are both very clever and they like to construct these elaborate symbols. Ikahara is much cooler and emotionally intelligent, <laughs> and so he's much more willing to just do the thing that feels right rather than constructing, in my mind anyways, like an elaborate puzzle box to be like picked apart. And so I try to sort of step back from all of the weird mysticism and like strange rules of the world and just looking, you know, what is, what is the story that's being told here? And it grabbed me as largely being a story about rejecting the idea that growing up and maturing is the equivalent of compromising and like normalizing the idea of like pushing pain onto others to help yourself. And, mm. and, that sort of like that opens up a lot of the of the show for me and and everything makes ends up making a lot more sense especially when you cast Akio as being sort of the you know sort of like like there's a, a moment in in the Akio saga where he sits Utna down and says look at that that's the morning star it's the same name as Lucifer also my name comes from the morning star and he just like <laughs> sort of looks directly into the camera and it's like oh okay so he's supposed to be literally the devil and you know his you know and he's sort of like a fallen form of you know the prince Dios which is like oh you know well, <laughs> and he we, ha we have the recap in the first season where literally Dios is conversing. He's conversing. Dios is conversing with Akio mm -hmm. from the sky, and also Dios versus versus yeah. Akio. And and he so he, yet he reminds it's me of been kind something of like conceded a, to think. Yeah, and but the, like he reminds me of kind of a demiurge fa uh, character, which is like a like a like a Gnostic concept where the world that we live in is sort of like a fallen, imperfect world that was created by an imperfect god that sort of keeps us apart from God and from each other as a sort of, I don't know, like, I, I don't know if, the, it's just kind of like a way of explains, like, you know, if God is perfect, why does the world suck? And it's like, oh, it's because we have an imperfect sucky God and we have to sort of overcome him <laughs> and go beyond him and stop playing by his rules. And as a, a Demiurge fair, uh, character, Akio makes a lot more sense to me than just like a straight up like Satan uh, parallel, and I think it's also you know, you know, 
a tricky old anime like filling the show up with christian symbolism but you know to, to to throw you off or at least to just like you know to add some visual chrome but maybe not you know all of the the implications like cultural implications that one might be tempted to pack into it if you have a, a more typical or a, you know a typical western upbringing and so mm. and just like as uh you know even just as like a series of like interesting images like the it, it's 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 a wonderful show to watch there's, there's the... our title, there's <laughs> our title. <laughs> and i think if i was trying to watch the show as like to figure it out i would find it endlessly frustrating which is you know even if i'd watched this like you know a couple of years ago let alone if i had watched it contemporaneously with it coming out i don't i probably would have had walked away with the same impression that duncan did on his first watch but Coming into it expecting more of a, you know, an emotional and impressionistic story, I I really I really enjoyed it, and I definitely see myself coming back to it. I want I watched it because you you can get this show for free on YouTube, and I recommend everybody check it out. But I really want to find if you're, if you're in the Americas, unfortunately. Oh, oh. Uh, well, well, go to America. Sorry, and then do... <laughs> <laughs> Things are going great here. Come on over. <laughs> yeah, but I, I really want to get this show on Blu-ray because I want to see it in all its glory. Because it's, it's oh, a... it's, it's it's so good on Blu-ray. We'll talk about this with the with the visuals. <laughs> but yes, it's it is it makes me angry that there's not Evangelion because just that specific from like '94 to 2000 when they have like the last hurrah of like completely hand-drawn and hand-painted painted cells. It's so great. And especially mm. how Ikuhara can use um, the figure shadow from higher cells to like, that's how he does a lot of uh, like when during Akio's <laughs> horny photo shoots, uh, <laughs> horny magical girl transformation photo shoots on his car, like the shadow of the projector is used to, to create like the flash shadow on there. He like, it's just like using the, someone who's, probably spent his life, you know, painting on, on, on celluloid, like just knowing what you can do with those. And then just having backgrounds are these gorgeous architectural sketches. Like whoever was the background artist, we should look him up because we compliment him every episode. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's just the sketches of Otori Academy. It's such a beautiful show and it, it, it shines on Blu-ray. Yeah, unfortunately, I had to watch a, a fallen and imperfect version of Utena with light. And, and so a lot of the background uh, detail is kind of blown out because it was like uploaded in 2013. I think it's like a 360p stream. Yeah. But yeah, I definitely, <laughs> I definitely want to watch it on a, a a nicer version of it because yeah, it's 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 definitely going to be a show that's going to reward rewatches. Yes, it absolutely does. I mean, as someone. The stuff that you understood the first time around, you get the pleasure of anticipation from, and the stuff you mm -hmm. don't understand, you get a second stab at. Because, because, at least my feeling is that Iku, and this is something that I know that Katie can definitely comment on as as someone who's probably read the like uh, booklets that come with the DVD version <laughs> uh, several times. But Ikuhara love loves like thematic noise, not just visual noise, <laughs> but just like. Everything seems to mean something. I'm going to bring it up here because I won't remember to otherwise. But when he's talking about red poppies and he's like, oh, and they're called uh, uh, Gubijin um, is the name is the uh, the Japanese name 
for the red poppy, but it's also the name of a 1951 Takarazuka review play um, about Zhang Yu and Liu Bang and the formation of the Han. And specifically what it's about um, is when uh, on the eve of battle, Zhang Yu's consort uh, does a sword dance and then kills herself because she could not stand the dishonor of distracting him during the battle um, by being worried if she's okay. And that is very telling that <laughs> that that Akio is like, hey, here's a here's just a cool thing I'm going to tell you. And that's totally not related to how I view my sister uh, at all or how I view you or women, um, because he later says, like, in the end, all women are like the Rose Bride, which is a which is a hell of a fucking thing to say. Akio. Yeah. Anthe Anthe says that. Actually, yeah, all girls are like the Rose Bride. Um, yeah. And I think. I mean, I think Akio applies something very similar, but yeah, I think she's yes. the first one to to say those words to Udna. Um, and yeah, so I I read this series very specifically, um, and this is influenced by personal history and by my relationship to this show that's developed over like almost 20 years now, hmm. you know, that I, I read it as very much about being about abuse, being being about patriarchy, about the construction of patriarchy. You know, like I see the characters' genders as really essential to the story that we're being told. Um, like I think of when we get the narrative of the Rosecrest um, from the Kashira girls, you know, and we get it presented as this like, you know, dumb show, little shadow play that's a shadow of the story itself. It's the the patriarchal version of the narrative mm -hmm. that we're seeing on screen, you know, with Anthe as a monster, as a witch in it, you know, as the true villain of the story. And um Obviously, some people watching the series still take that away from it, you know, because they're they're influenced by those patriarchal readings. Yeah. Um, but what we're presented is something very different. Mm. I, I do think that it is interesting that we get both of those stories in the same episode. Mm -hmm. And it feels like while one is obviously more true to life and the other is obviously a fairy tale, I think that they both explain different characters positions like the 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 shadow play version explains where Akio is getting his entitlement and the the flashback version um, explains Anthe's martyrdom, and it's like different different sides of the same corner. As a, sh a shadow is a much better analogy, actually, because uh, this is the season indeed where we get to see the shadow girls in real life and actually mm -hmm. get confirmed that they're real. Except besides the one uh, shot in the first core where there's a real human hand holding a holding a cactus <laughs> that goes across the screen which is possibly my favorite visual flourish of the show um but but yeah it is it is about abuse in a very obvious way because this is a show where everybody tells everybody tells utina that she cannot be a prince because she's a girl mm -hmm. and Anthe kills her <laughs> like stabs her uh, because you seem you seem just like like Dios, but you're a girl, so you can't be my prince. And yet, the only person who who does that saving is is Utena. And I think it does kind of when we think about the princes that we've met in this show, the the, the people, the characters that we've been sh have been described as princes: Akio, uh, Toga, Ruka. They are to a to a man. And pointedly, man, uh, cruel, controlling, selfish, entitled, um, and the noble ideals that that we are informed are the foundation of princeness are just better 
as personality traits to have and not to aspire to a role that embodies them, I think. And generally, the obsession with someone with someone being roles and having things to play, and I think that also the theatricality of the show, not just in its use of plays and skits, but also just in the fact that the whole thing looks like a Takarazuka review um, and has been performed as one. But, uh, um, but uh, go ahead, Duncan. Can I... Uh, so... Can I ask you, you three, for uh, just a, a sort of like a one-word an- answer to to a question, and which is is who do you think this is the story of? I mean, I think that I think that the easiest answer. I'm not going to play by your rules. Frank, <laughs> uh, I think the easiest anchor, a- answer is that it's ultimately Anthe's story yeah. because she's the one who who succeeds and goes out into the world, mm. um, and it's it's about her doubt at what role she's playing. Is she the witch? Is she Sionji's ideal puppet who will never leave him? Is she like, who is she to all these people? Mm. And it's about her at the end, making your own choice. And that of course involves us uh, as, as Katie pointed to walking away from her awful leaving, leaving the coffin and walking away from her awful yeah. abusive brother who will just stay there forever playing Prince mm. living in a fantasy world where he is the coolest guy ever. And he drives mm. a car and he lets all of these teenagers hang out with him. Mm. And that's not creepy at all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Cause I, I've like, this was the arc where, uh, obviously my, my feelings of who the protagonist was just one eighty from Utina to, to Anthe. And like, she just, she just dominates it. Like you, she is the, 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 the sun, they all orbit. She is the, the gravitational pull, which everything is, is in rhythm to. And I think in some ways I see all the characters we meet as possibilities. Anthe is, is looking at to deal with her trauma. Different oh ways. yeah, I have a lot of feelings about that subject. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you go on. <laughs> but it's, it's like, even Uti, from Sionji through Nanami, Miki, Juri, Toga, even Utena, they are all not choices which work out as solutions to her particular hurt and trauma. The the thing which the it like the the, the visual and auditory cues we get at the end just when Anthe reaches out and when Anthe steps out of the the grounds of the academy and the way the music reacts to that and just these these moments of of her finally choosing for herself how a way which is not governed by all these incredibly oppressive forms of identity and like there's this this line which utina says to her uh there's there's a there's a suicide attempt um from anthe in the build-up to the final duel and utina Mm -hmm. has a a line to her didn't we promise each other we'd meet in 10 years and that to me was like a really important one because it was i think school the idea of graduating school and how strongly that is seen as like one of these arbitrary lines we draw of when someone becomes an adult 
like they become an adult when when they graduate when they when you're old enough to drive when you have your first drink when you have your first love all these arbitrary things we draw at 16 i hella was not an adult i just in no way <laughs> shape or form and maybe i was at 26 maybe 10 years is how long it actually takes from when people start thinking they're adults to become adults and maybe what that promise is is a promise to meet again when they both figured their shit out and to an acknowledgement of how no one has the answer at this moment and there is no easy solution and that's just that you've just got that 10-year journey to make I, I just real quick, as opposed to trying to follow it up, although Katie, I'd love to hear you respond. I do have a question because one of the advantages of watching the Blu-rays um, is that you get the episode previews. And I noticed that Evangelion, like uh, the preview in episode 36 for episode 37, no, sorry, the preview, the, uh, yeah, I don't quite know what to make of this, um, but there's a preview for the episode before the one with Anthe's suicide attempt. Um where uh, it has dialogue that does not appear in mm. in the in the show and does not even where it's it's uh, Utena saying to Anthe that she can't forgive her and Anthe saying I've always despised you um, and I was wondering if that was maybe a change a decision to make the to not show Utena confronting Anthe about uh, the uh, relationship that she has with Akio. Or if it was something that was meant to like mislead you, like I don't I don't know what to make. Whenever I see like signs that like things were changed in production, I always I always get like hungry and curious. Um, um, but I do wonder if it if it was meant to mislead or if it was a genuine change in the direction of the last few episodes because there are there are fingerprints all over that there were some production difficulties for the last for the last core. Just um, just. Correct me if I'm, I'm wrong. The the way that the previous episode ends is um, with Utena walking in on Akio and uh, Anthe, and Anthe looking up, and we we get a sense that her eyes meet Utena's across the across the room, and then fade to black and, and titles, etc. I believe so. Yes. Okay. So, like, to me at least, I'd say that dialogue is once again, internal dialogue for Anthe, like it's her, her self-shame and bl- blaming. Basically, it's, yeah. it's how, what she thinks Utina's going to think of her. She thinks her this person she's betrayed is going to just hate her, and thankfully it doesn't end up that way. So it's, so you do think it's actually t- uh, text you're, in the you're show? You're telling and me not... Ikuhara d- d- has done something undeliberately? Uh, I think that maybe he had it forced upon him. I've seen possible. this happen many months. <laughs> but, uh, but no, I think it's interesting. I do think it just to, to kind of, and then Katie, please go. Uh, <laughs> but I do, I do think it is interesting that there was more of an explicit confrontation and there was more of a deliberate break. Um, and instead, at some point in the script, or at least implied in the, in the previews, and then Ikuhara decided instead to do it with uh, Anthe looking down, Anthe's glasses going opaque, which is, you know, the thing, the thing that anime and especially Ikuhara loves to do, uh, that, the, that this idea is that you don't always get a fight that, like, damages or even maims a friendship, that sometimes it's just a slow drain circling. Um, 
I don't know. I, 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 that, I know I brought that up out of nowhere and it doesn't actually contribute to anything we've been talking about, but I was very <laughs> curious um, because like, oh, wow, I don't, re- when I was watching, I was like, oh, wow, I don't remember them like having a confrontation where, where, uh, where Anthony calls Utena disgusting or pathetic. Um, so yes. I, I, I love that little moment actually. Cause I feel like it's, you know, and yeah, like, I don't know whether it was intended to be included in the series. Like I remember one of the things in the booklets that I picked up was that Toga's tragic backstory that we get in the film was yeah. originally intended to be in that last arc and they just didn't get space for it, you know? So we never mm-hmm. get a backstory on Toga the same way of we get with like, awful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't get a backstory. Like we get, we get all this backstory involving Toga with Nanami and, and Sayanji, but we don't actually see what is this missing piece. So I think it could have been something that was dropped, but I do, I love it as like this bit of, you know, subtext spoken aloud that like, mm. there's this, there's this sudden, jarring break in betrayal between Anthe and Utna, you know, and it's so painful. And so to hear those words spoken that they won't actually say to each other, you know, I think adds a little, a little extra frisson of like, you know, sadness. (laughs) I do wonder if it was just a scene cut between the, uh, them joking about like toast and poison. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the scene immediately (laughs) after that is, is, is the suicide attempt. Uh, Mm -hmm. So like it is, they did have a fight, and then Anthony goes to commit suicide, and maybe maybe someone was like, "This is pretty dramatic." Yeah, uh, and then we don't see that. we don't see the whole of the suicide scene until later. You know, yeah, because yeah. we do, we just see a piece of it there, and then later on we get a flashback. I think in like the last episode or two, you know, yeah. of what really happened. Uh, and yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense to me. And so, um, but yeah, what I'd like to talk about if if we have time right now is we have um, so much time. Is <laughs> <laughs> this I want to pick up this thing that Duncan said about the characters being reflections of Anthe's situation. And I see all of the characters in the show, um, both in the Black Rose arc and in the Student Council arc, all of them, as reflections on this essential trio of the show, which is Utna, Anthe, and Akio. You know, and we see reflections of the character dynamics in various duos and trios that are different ways of looking at them. So we have like, you know, there's the jury and Shiori love triangle, you know, which is definitely a way of looking at the romance with Anthony and Utna, you know, like a more explicitly romantic way of viewing mm-hmm. it. Then we have like, there's a, a meme in the fandom that I kind of hate about. Oh, Ikuhara is obsessed with incest. And that, like, this is a show that's literally about incest. Like that's the yes. subject, <laughs> you know, like that's the subject is the actual psychology, the actual emotional dynamics of incest uh, with this brother and sister. So, so Toga and Nanami and Mickey and Kazue are actually versions of Anthe and Akio that we see. You know, mm-hmm. like Mickey is the Dios part of Akio. You know, he's like he's like entirely the Dios part, just that bit crystallized, this this like purity yeah. and this constant disappointment in the sexualization of his sister that he's contributed to. But in the the isolated Mickey part, he takes no responsibility for that. You know, Mickey yeah, is yeah. very pure. You know, then meanwhile, we have Toga, which who's the exact opposite. Toga's a predator. <laughs> you know, he's a predator. He's seductive. You know, Nanami is extremely disempowered relative to him, but Nanami is often viewed as the villain in their scenarios. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's that's how I read the characters. I read them all as and you don't you don't really. That's why it's one of those shows that you do have to watch a few times that you don't you don't know that until you get into the last arc of the show, until you get to the last few episodes, you know, like they they hold off so carefully exactly who Akio is and what's happening with him to the end mm. of the show that like those early scenes like the like the early Mickey and Kazue episodes you know I don't think you have any way of knowing that this is going to inform a character who's going to be even more important to the story you know so that's that's one of the things that I think is happening um 
trying to think of what was the other thing that I wanted to to <laughs> pick up pick up on there. Um, yeah, like uh, something that I've heard a lot of people say analyzing the show is that like Anthony and Newton are two halves of the same whole. You know, they're kind of like the same soul in a way. And it's like, I don't like to read that too literally. I don't think they're like the same character, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but I do think they're meant to be complementary in the way that like a lot of great love stories are. They're meant to be these two souls that have like missing pieces and a lot of like Utna's story. Utna's story is about a loss of innocence. Utna's story is about someone who is very pure, very heroic, very naive, and who is seduced by someone destroyed by him and has to regain her self-confidence. Anthony's story is a complimentary one about somebody who's always been abused, someone who's very old, very weary, you know, Mm -hmm. and who has constantly been seen as a villain and who doesn't even know how to save herself. And right. doesn't doesn't even doesn't even know what it would mean not to do what Akio wants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes like at times, like there's no identity to her that is not mediated by Akio's actions and desires. Yeah. But there's a lot. Yeah. Of, like in a lot of senses, Anthony's identity is always mediated by whoever she's in the room with almost, uh, especially if she is, you know, betrothed to somebody as the Rose Bride. Like in early episodes, we see that, you know, Sanji was obsessed with her and she was reciprocating in the time that she was uh intro- you know betrothed to him and then when uh she ended up with Utena he you know she finds her old uh books that she was like or uh, old notes from Sianji and she was like oh I don't need these anymore and she just throws them away like it was nothing and I think like we don't ever actually see who Anthe really is until that you know, that post credit scene right at the very end. And even um, like, and, and she's because like her role in Akio's world that he's constructed is that Anthony gives you what you want. And for the reason she's the bad guy in his world is that he wants absolution for giving up his ideals when he was younger. And he, so he casts her in the role of somebody who stole them from him, prevented him from being that because, you know, Otherwise, you know, why, you know, why else would he? And that's also, you know, why he fails to save her in the end. It's because, oh, this is my world and my world's impossible for me to to be pure, to be the good guy, which is why I have to be the bad guy. That's why this is okay for me to do. And. And, you know, but similarly, like like Mickey's dad at some point is shown just for a split second to have a rose bride that, you know, looks and sounds like Anthe from behind. And you get the sense that a lot of the adults surrounding Otori, uh, including uh, Akio's, you know, quote unquote, fiance's mother, are all people who have been enth- enthralled by his sort of twisted idea of maturity, where everybody is sort of forgiven for doing these, you know, terrible things because they have no other option. That is what, and and so like it's it, it's hard for me to like to to look at examples, especially of Anthe from earlier in the stories as being reflective of who she is. And in a lot of ways, I think the story is Akio's story in a way that like everybody in this world is sort of swimming in the waters of Akio. And, you know, this is, this is the world that he's defined and Utena shows up and ruins everything. Like she's almost an antagonist figure throughout Mm -hmm. the series, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, he, you know, Akio is the one, you know, actively trying to do something and she is the one standing in his way. And but it's a per it's a purpose built I mean, world. Akio's the status quo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
but she refuses to play her part. You know, she, you know, the, the thing that makes her different from everybody else is like everybody else wants something from Anthe, whereas Utena wants to save Anthe. That's, that's the thing that she wants. And that's why she is able to, able to succeed in the end in a way. And I, I, I haven't seen the movie. Um, and I, I have a it's feeling a, that this is probably going to be informed by uh, you know, what I'm saying now will be informed by that once I have seen it. But I, 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 the movie's I, I, its own thing. You don't have to worry about. You don't have to yeah. worry about speaking authoritatively. The movie's its own thing. Okay. Um, <laughs> I can see Katie smiling slyly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like one of the things the movie is for is if you miss if you miss the important points of the series, the movie will drive it home. Okay. You know, so you can't ignore them. It's it's not fucking around as much as the show is. Yeah. <laughs> but I do think it is interesting about like when do we see the true Anthe? Because I do think that one of one of the more striking moments is when they get in front of the Rose Gate and, and Akio's like, great, we don't need her anymore. And like snaps and she just crumples into into fabric. And like, it just makes you wonder, like, it, it definitely drives home that like she is that Anthe as encountered in the environs of Otori is just Akio's creature. And the first time we see her is when we literally tear open a rose covered gate and open up a coffin and see her just in infinite darkness. It just... There is this definite thing there. Oh, there's uh, so many parts of that that I love. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, An- Anthony is my favorite character, you know, and like, I-, I feel like there's a way of watching the series where you pay attention to everything that she's doing. And it- it's it's impossible to do it the first time because, you know, mm-hmm. you're still getting acquainted with the narrative. But like, Akio has set up this world. He's an abuser. He's, he, you know, he's an abuser who's yeah. abetted by patriarchy, by a uh, a place that he's designed himself, you know, Mm -hmm. so he gets to decide literally what you see. That's the point of his projector. You know, Mm -hmm. he gets to determine the way that the story goes. But like, if you pay attention to Anthony, you see these little moments of life, you know, that like you, you, you start to see. And by the last arc, it becomes very clear that she does have a will of her own. You know, that will has just been disregarded over Mm -hmm. and over and over again. Like the first time I feel like in the series that we really see it is when, Utna is defeated by Toga um, in the first arc. And we get a little bit of Anthe's voiceover at that moment, you know, where she's just like, what is this? You know, <laughs> she's like, you know, she's like, oh, I feel so bad, you know. And then she's like, wait, this is like that other time. And she's like, what is this? What is this? You know, it's something she's never seen before. And it's the first time Anthe's even um, connected emotionally. You know, she's just disengaged through most mm-hmm. of the first arc, you know, because she's it's it's another duelist. It's another Rose Bride duel. You know, she's you know, half in it, but she's not that interested until that moment. And Utna does something that she hasn't seen before. And we see a lot of that in the last arc. You know, we see we see Akio's seduction of Utna that Anthe is asked to play a role in. And we see that Anthe doesn't like it. You know, mm-hmm. she doesn't she doesn't resist it, but she's you know, we get we, we know we get her behind these glasses, you know, just saying, you know, I deliver the roses, but I don't want to go out and look at the stars, you know, and mm-hmm we start to see that there is a conflict between what she wants and what Akio wants. And Akio is like the ultimate, you know, dualist, you know, he's the, mm-hmm. he's the one that she's truly the Rose bride to. Mm-hmm. It is interesting that she refuses to go out and see the real stars and instead stays enti- inside the planetarium. That almost feels like a hint mm-hmm. that there's no difference between the two and Otori. Mm-hmm. They're all, they're all Akio's projection. And she, She's not going to play his game and pretend that the that the that the fake real stars are the real real stars. I, I love that uh, in that moment. That Ikuhara put all that in a recap episode. That was just like, <laughs> yeah. I, 
Well, the guts I, to I posted do that. in the Slack where I was like, I can't believe I'm taking I've, I've taken like a paragraph of notes on a recap episode. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and also it's, probably it's like... one of the most painful and like raw scenes. Yeah, when Utna is in bed, like disassociating basically, and like channeling all of her anxiety and fear and shame into shit. I left the bread out this morning. I hope the food's going to be okay. What am I going to make for lunch? Like, and she's just like grappling for something that, you know, to worry about other than, you know, that isn't the thing that's happening right in front of her. And I, I think I, I called that dismissively in my mind, like Utina's real girlfriend experience sort of thing. <laughs> and then felt really bad at the end because I'd forgotten how that episode is. So. <laughs> yeah. I remember uh, the, the latest time I watched this, I watched with, uh, with a friend who'd never seen the series before. And she like needed to, discuss that episode after we watched it she was like mm. what what happened there <laughs> you know and i was like you know she was like you know like what what was going on with utna and akio and i was like i think it's a rape you know and it's like you know it's somewhat ambiguous you know but like utna as presented in the show is very young you know akio mm-hmm. is in a position of power and a lot older and like everything in that scene feels coercive everything in that scene yeah. utna's yeah. full of anxiety you know but it's also it's so realistic because it's also presented as romance, you know, but it's yeah. deeply uncomfortable. Um, and yeah, it's like a really upsetting moment. Yeah. Tucked into this recap episode. And, and then later when she, when she's like that, you slept with your sister, that's messed up. He's like, Oh, you want to, what's messed up. You didn't stop me from kissing you. <laughs> Even though I had a fiance. Oh my God. Like, wow, that's that like, is, that is such gas. That is like the most realistic abuser gaslighting shit that like I've ever seen where he's like, yeah. here, let me show you a clip show of how everything looked from my perspective and how you're the real monster. Mm-hmm. It was the, the fiance that I poisoned and is now comatose in some other part of my residence. Yeah, it's uh, um, to get off that. Uh, <laughs> I want to go really quick. We haven't talked much about the duel, the, the last round of duels themselves besides uh, Sayanji. Um, but I do think that uh, what you said, Katie, about uh, at least fan belief that Akio, uh, not Akio, uh, Anthe and Utena are uh, two parts of the same whole. I do think that the third round of duels is really like kind of Hegelian synthesis where you have um, <laughs> these two it, characters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even tell if you're serious or not, Jeff. That's how that's how our relationship is. <laughs> Uh, well, I was going to bring up this a joke character. if that. <laughs> oh, I mean, I, I think I think it's not actually that. Se- I think uh, that the Hegelian aspects are kind of like how apparently every like nerdy anime director in the mid '90s was like into Gnosis because we have a Braxis and all that in uh, in Utena, and we have uh, all of the stuff in Evangelion, and everyone's just like, "Hey, have you have you heard about this weird dead Christian sect?" Um, but anyway, I, I do think that you do have these characters who are presented as, uh, as sides of a, as different views on a, uh, on a, a certain question, especially of adulthood maturity, and that they have, they form these temporary or sometimes they actualize longstanding relationships, uh, to enter into the dueling ring and that we have Mickey, who is concerned about purity and control versus Kozue, who calls herself a wild animal. And every time she does, Mickey's like, stop that. Mm-hmm. We're, not, we're not wild animals. Uh, and we have the uh, Ruka Shiori jury love triangle that seems to be largely about like fantasy versus sacrifice. Um, 
that that with Ruka and Shore, we had these two people just lie unceasingly to each other to try to make to get this perfect relationship, and it ends up folding. And so Ruka instead uses what he knows from that relationship to blackmail Jury into like regressing and being being part of his power couple. And the moment that that doesn't work again, Jury just takes off the rose and, and quits. Yeah, she's. Um, I think. I think she's the only duelist to lose on purpose. Like mm-hmm. in the whole series. Yeah. I mean, she never wanted, like, it's, it's the thing that people say when I talk to them about this, like, isn't it weird that, like, she's friends with Mickey and Jury and they, and they still fight her? Mm. Uh, but with Mickey, Mickey has a lot of, has a lot of things going on I mean, um, and is way too, way too, way too under his sister's thumb for how wild of an animal his sister is. But, but also- Jury especially, I think. The dueling is is like a means to an end. Like they don't hate Utna; mm-hmm. they want the thing in the in the castle, and to ha- and to have that, they have to have the Rose Bride. And so, Akio is like weaponizing their angst and their and their pain. And one thing I thought was really interesting about the third series of duels is that by the end of each one, the person, the thing that's like driving those people to become duelists and you know which is like you know sort of cheekily you know visually represented by Akio's little literal car driving around the <laughs> ring sh- you know shining lights on everybody With is usually purged from, yeah and, and that's usually purged for them in some way uh like jury you know rather than having her uh her rose cut by the uh by dios inhabiting Utna, he cuts off the, or she cuts off the the amulet. And then mm-hmm. she's like, oh, shit, I don't want this weird like sociopathic girl anymore, mm-hmm. and she like gives up the duel. Similarly sure, with, eh? yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and you know, it, it, it almost like reads as a uh, as foreshadowing to the way Utna and Akio's duel ends. Uh, where, like, like losing to the losing to the prince, losing to Dios, you know, in, you know, in the same way that Akio will sort of weaponize and uh, implicate you with your own desires, losing to Dios will sort of purify you and free you from them. And like Utna being, you know, sort of released from Akio's world at the end by you know by being what he refused to be or what he was afraid to be uh sort of like like that 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 you know hit those that series of duels seems to be him sort of trying to get Utna to the to the same place that he is and by and, and also you know trying to push everybody else to be the same as he is like you know that, that also that same sort of like predator mentality of like you know I am the protagonist of this world I'm going to make everybody you know everybody either like me or I'm going to eliminate them I see um, the the jury and Ruka stuff as like particularly in that vein. That there's an argument you can make that she's both the only person to give up and also the only person who could legitimately beat Utena. Like mm-hmm. she she when when Utena hits the the amulet, Utena's losing. There's no, no ifs or buts about that. It's, it's not, she does her normal power leap forward, but. Jury's more than a match for that, and she missed the rose is missed, but she hits the amulet, 
And mm-hmm. we see two fights going on at the same time during that particular duel. We see the duel between Ruka and Jury, and we've seen the duel between Jury and Utena. And they are choreographed so similarly that Ruka finds in a is in the the place of Jury. He in the in the first he controls the fight, he well it's sub, he dismissively pushes pushes the other duelist away. He completely controls the flow of it. Uh, but the thing he t- shows to jury is that you do have to... The way you beat this particular prince is you sacrifice someone. You sacrifice Shuri in this case. She's the only driver of the of or passenger of the car who gets hurt. Like, mm-hmm. every other time you see someone... And the car at the end of the duel screeching to a halt, and and the the passenger will just be fainted or won't be in it. In this case, she's just through the windscreen, literally, yeah. and it, and yeah. just like yeah, that's a, the realization that Jury has that like that Freezer, and I think you know Jury and Toga are the only duelists who are presented. I think at the end of the show is getting close to you know making that realization is that like shiori is just a person you know she's been trapped with this image of shiori as either this like desirable object or like this monster who's trying trying to you know like keep her trapped in this unrequited love and shiori's just a girl and she's freed she's freed of that you know of that image in that necklace it's and it's a place that that utna gets to with Anthe, you know, but Jury gets mm-hmm. there first, you know, it's it's foreshadowed in what happens with Jury. And I think, like, we see this transformation, we see how some characters are even more trapped after Utna brings revolution, you know, like, Nanami is even more trapped than she was when we saw her before. She's, like, even more, like, imprisoned as a Rose Bride. Um, but when we see Jury, um, the one who I think, you know, is is starting to get free of this, we see Shiori challenging her in the fencing club as an equal, um, mm-hmm. I, which I think like foreshadows that at some point they like Utni, Ut, Ut, Utna and Anthe will have a relationship of equals where they will actually learn who each other is. Hmm. I think there's actually a moment when Jury says, I'm thinking about uh, who else to put into uh, a new locket. I'm thinking about putting your picture in Utna. So that's, that's like, an interesting scene in general. It's yeah. like after, I think it's actually badminton. Well, yeah, during the badminton scene, but mm-hmm. that is that is when Utena has accept has kind of accepted that she's just going to be a princess, um, and I do think that part of that is also like Utena kind of sinking into a rose bride bride esque role um, by giving up her her princely nobility. Is that Miki's like I've been thinking about you a lot, Utena, and uh, and uh, Jury is like yeah, I'm thinking about putting your picture in my locket, and Anami's like what the fuck's going on here. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, it's very weird that uh, that speaking of the duels, like Nanami goes through an incredible amount of character growth in a yeah. handful of episodes. Um, I would do she was the that best culminates girl. in this. <laughs> Duncan will fight you for that, <laughs> uh, but that because we we see that she really wants to be special and she wants to be deserving of being special, and she sees that her relationship with her brother is the primary thing, even as she does stuff like wear a designer cowbell or think that she laid an egg as a way of as a way of trying to seek out specialness. Sorry, Katie, we couldn't have that episode where where Utena and Anthe fight. We have to have the episode where Anthe where uh, where Nanami thinks she's laid an egg uh and asks everybody <laughs> and we have like bowling ball puns uh instead. Uh Ikuhara's got priorities. 
but like watching watching Nanami finally get rejected by Toga, both both in fact when he says that you're adopted without saying I'm also adopted from the same parents, and by in a really to we can if we want to we can use this to transition into visuals or we can just do that abruptly later. Uh, but the really striking scene where she is curled up outside of the outside of the the greenhouse, trying not to listen to Toga seducing Keiko and uh, failing, obviously, uh, that she gets she gets rejected and and then she and then the immediate aftermath of that is seeing what she supposedly wanted. Uh, as a relationship with Toga between Akio and Anthe and being just absolutely horrified by it. Um, and then she chooses to duel Utena. And I think that she has a very interesting spread of possible motivations there. I was interested to see on the Wikipedia page, they have a very specific reason that she's dueling her. But I, I do think that part of it is just getting Utena away from Anthe so that she can see better what is going on there so that she's not alone in this revelation, because this is also the arc where they begin to be like, Oh, Utena and Nanami both have the same blood type, which is blood type B, which is really stubborn and they don't change their mind. Um, and so she's kind of trying to do that, but also it feels like spite for Toga, but also spite for Akio. Um, and of course she fails because Nanami is not a good duelist and <laughs> never has, never has the pure intentions. But when she comes to the dueling ring, we, we almost see her transform from again, the mean girl antagonist of the first season, um, to this quite desperate, pathetic character who has basically had her world systematically destroyed over the course of two episodes. Um, and it makes it kind of sad that, uh, that she kind of gets sidelined and she doesn't get part of the out of the part of the revolution that changes so many other characters at the end of the show. If unless someone else wants to cut in, I, I want to go off on on one on about Nanami. If if unless you, <laughs> any of you three have something else to say first, no, no right, no. have fun. <laughs> oh, it's all mine. So I I've been really interested in the cu- colors of the duelists, like why. Akio and uh, and Thea Red. Why everyone else is white? Why Utena is is black? And equally, why Nanami is yellow? Why she is the odd one out? Why while everyone else wears this shroud of virtue, which is the the white uniform of the duelist, she wears this bright yellow uniform and. What I landed on in the end is that whereas all the other uh, people are aspects of trying to grapple with a a sort of tr- a a dealing with trauma or adulthood, she is in fact a a rejection of a sort of regression into childhood. She what she seems to do is. She, she, yellow is a color which in, apparently in Japan has very strong connotations with spring, summer, and sort of the, the budding of youth. And I feel like if you look at all her her sto- storylines, these things which she plays like one of them's around her being a cook, the other about becoming a mother, and these are all like the, the things which children are 
girl children are encouraged to play, to play the mother, to play the, the housewife. And I think Nanami, unlike all the others, doesn't want to become an adult. She just, mm. just wants to be... to still have what she wanted with um, Toga. And for the longest while, she's been convinced herself that the way she maintains would maintain this is be acting like all these other girls who seem to catch his attention do. And the way her arc ends is her rejecting that with her, her coming to realization that that's not something she wants in any way that her regressions aren't getting her there. And this, this, attempt to play act at adult isn't going to get her there either. And so she sort of just has almost a final tantrum. Like it's just, just has to get this energy out of her and her her fighting style is so much more uncontrolled than anywhere else. She just like slashes wildly at Utena. And as you say, she's not a good duelist and it's just like a, yeah, it's sort of like ang- true teenage angst in the way that the others are are not trying th- are trying to transition from that she she actually settles into and and I think it's strange like she, yeah that's that's all all I, I've got on her that that she's a, a in, whereas the others are, are all about moving forward she's about regressing she yeah, wants I, to be I, a dualist but she's she's almost a rose bride. That's the thing. Of all the characters, she's the one who's already the closest to being the Rose Bride, and that's where she ends up trapped in the end of the story. I read it as a kind of internalized misogyny, for lack of a better word, that like, you know, yeah, she's presented with all these things that are like, you know, being a good wife. And she rejects them because she's like, if I am to take those on, I'm a powerless person. I will never be special to Toga in the way I want to be. You know, I am just another woman. And that's true. And that's true. But she can't get to the point of ever empathizing empathizing with the position of the rose bride you know she's she's stuck there so the only choice is not to grow up i also think that for for uh nanami a lot of her her issues are issues of immaturity uh her love of her brother i think reads a lot like you know like small children who are like oh i'm gonna marry daddy i'm gonna marry my brother because there's not really any concept of what romantic love is it's just you know these are words that they've learned and they want to you know and and, you know and they're and they're sort of still in the process of building up their world and when she's confronted with you know the reality of anthe and akio she's horrified by it and Mm. a lot of her stories come from like you know her body changing you know her you know turning into a cow her you know the the entire egg story of you know you know do people lay eggs? How did I not know? Is this too late? I, you know, she she goes from being horrified that she's laid an egg to horrified that she's only laid the one egg, because she's she's so full of that anxiety of like you know, am I falling behind? Am I, you know, am I not the the grown up important person that I thought I was? And the and so you know, like you were saying, like you know, her having you know, and her having these tantrums and her. It, like it, it, it seems to me like she is. It's not. It's not so much that she doesn't want to be an adult. Is that she isn't quite ready to be one yet? Because I think she is like mm, in the yeah. story, is still a middle school student. Like she is much younger yeah, than even the other yeah. very young characters. And 
So she's just like, you know, I don't know if she's necessarily regressing as she is like just not quite there yet. Um, yeah. Where do we go from Nanui? I mean, you were talking about colors as a way of introducing that. And I do think that uh, even though, <laughs> as you said, that this is a, a less visually striking core than the previous one, Duncan, uh, maybe we should transition to music and visuals and animation. Um did anyone have any particularly good visuals? I know that I already mentioned Nanami cowering by the by the greenhouse. Um, I also liked when she's trying to confront Utena that there's there's uh, cuts of Anthe trying to turn on water to uh, to fill up her uh, watering uh, pitcher, um, and the handle breaks off, and so the water's just pouring out, and it's and there's lots of very artsy showing of that, and then and then Utena's like, "Well, what do I do now?" So <laughs> there. There is, um, a, a, I think, an increasing love of, of visual metaphor in uh, in Utena uh, in the uh, the Apocalypse Saga, mm. uh, and I think that's that's a very good way to transition to uh, the visuals uh, of the show and just how fucking beautiful it is. <laughs> like the last few episodes, the carousel with Dios, the the ghost, you know, and uh -huh. I just like, I there's so many visuals in there that I just love, and the fact that like we see the 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 drop of water that always. Mm -hmm. that always admits Utna, you know, is like transformed into like this one selfless tear for Anthe. Mm -hmm. That's the only thing that gets through the gate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the, the, the droplet of water is a very popular motif in, in Utna. And it also, I've always understood it as kind of being sort of Mono no Oare. This is like, this like transitory, beautiful thing, like a droplet, like a droplet into water is completely unique. It's vanishingly brief. Um, and it's beautiful, but you can only see it if you know it's coming and know to watch it in that one moment. And so I do think that that, that sort of like so shines a good deed in this harsh world sort of ending there with, a, with yeah, just like even, even a single moment of that selfishness, of selflessness can, can be the, the straw that breaks the camel's back with what seems to be almost an eternal, like, like, as far as the the show presents to us, Anthe and Akio are impossibly old, uh, like, like primordial almost. Um, and so just the idea that that incredibly like long, twisted, toxic, codependent, abusive relationship um, is done by the, just the droplet that we've seen before, and that that droplet is how she's admitted into the duel ring. It's almost kind of a proleptic symbol of of how it finally appears. There's there's another image in that that final duel or the, or the tra when Anthe stabs Utina, and she like you see her like collapse down and Anthe's dress is like around them and there's this like almost like a, a rose in itself and they're just like collapsing into this this mass of of cloth and it, it's just like like that that for you just like oh yeah. Good, good, good stuff. Mm. More of that, and uh, and well, obviously, uh, um, um, Akio just getting slapped in the face by Utina as she <laughs> goes across. That that that's a gif I will never get tired of of seeing. It's like no, because he because uh, the the other thing about that moment she's great is he he's still 
convinced he's the chivalrous prince because he he walks towards her and he, and he sees she, she's falling and he runs over and th- thinks okay yeah I can still be the good prince here I can pick her up I can be the chivalrous one and she's just like no not having any of that no, no yeah Akio. I mean it's like what we said Akio's bought his own illusions so thoroughly and so even after uh, having his sister stab her lover so that he can seal, steal her heart sword. And then he breaks it on the door and he's like, well, fuck it. Mm-hmm. Uh, time to, time to go drink a cocktail while lying on the, <laughs> on the ground. Um, he still thinks that he can, he's like, he still thinks he's the good guy. He it's, it's not like for all that Akio is manipulative and deceitful. Um, he's, it's kind of the platonic ideal of the tyrant who the person, the tyrant oppresses the most is themselves with their lies about how they're a good person and how these actions are necessary. And so Akio still thinking, and it's almost, it looks almost instinctual where he sees her falling, he starts to go there. And then he's, once he's got her in his arms, he's like, okay, let's carry you back. Like, obviously you, whatever you were going to do that way was mistaken. Um, I know it's best. Uh, it's kind of a, a, a like delayed echo of his like, good news. You don't need the sword anymore. You're going to be my princess forever. Aren't mm. you so happy? <laughs> uh, it's kind of that there. Uh, but yes, I liked how Ikuhara like just added a lot more rose shit in, in this in this core. Um, just calling everything the rose stuff uh, wasn't enough. So like now, like Auntie disappears and a rose bush grows in her crumpled clothing, and there's roses all over the rose gate, uh, and rose and rose rose. So and they all was... all the duels put roses in yeah. the the picture while they had their like midnight vigil yeah, the, for the, the, the for is... Utena revolutionizing the world. So that 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 was obviously Anthe's watering can. They put put the uh-huh. roses in, and like so, as they're all putting in them in, it's all their individual colors. The and finally Toga puts in Utena's white rose, and they transform into the pink roses, which we see growing up into Anthe in the elevator scenes. And so it's mm-hmm. like that's what that's the scene which solidified my my particular interpretation as them all aspects of Anthe because we see their their roses transform in mm. into this this but, hole which but is also, Anthe. All of those roses were grown <laughs> by Anthe. Um that is you know yeah. she says, you know, at one point, you know, I can you know, if I can just grow roses for the rest of my life, I'd be yeah. happy. And yeah. that almost seems like them returning her favors you know back to her Mm. you know having all been individually freed from their own sort of like drives towards you know trying to capture the rose bride they're giving their roses back and then i think in that same scene their roses all start bursting or is that is that a different one that no, one that's, that's one of the Kuhn Council where it's when Toga and Sionji are talking and there's like bullets blowing up the roses. Right, right, right. <laughs> the right, roses right. are getting shot. So right. um, there are a lot of good Toga and Sionji hangouts, like when they're surrounded <laughs> by cameras and more cameras and more cameras. That's a very, this is kind of shading into funny stuff we liked, but yeah, just, and they're like more and more mics in front of them. They, their their uh, voice gets more and more echoey as they're talking because mm. they're getting feedback and stuff. Uh, one one other thing which uh, cropped a few times is, especially in the, f- the first episode, is Ikuhara likes symmetry. Like, there's this this shot of the when we're first introduced to um, Akio's apartment, where it starts on on one side, pans to the right to to a vase of roses, and then pans again to a reverse of it. And so you mm-hmm. you, you and since the rose 
is like I, I see it as like a a a, a symbol of like where this is the moment we're switching who we're focusing on and like you'll get every time Anthea and Utina go to bed how they lean back into each other how they their silhouettes sort of cross and how that's weirdly mimicked with Toga and Akio mm. after some of the jewels where they're, they're on there just sort of prancing around and suddenly lean back and uh, and how about the music? How about like Akio's smooth organ jazz as he's cruising on the highway, the infant highway? I think it's very interesting that the two mechanisms of seduction that Akio uses are stars that aren't real and a car that goes nowhere. Um, and that's how, he, that's how he gets into your pants or inside your head. Or also um, taking your shoes, which might also be... <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a big one, is all the barefoot girls. <laughs> and, like, you know, like, wrapping up their ankles. Like, Actually, my favorite bit of music in the last arc is um, Anthe's dueling song, Missing Link, um, that I've listened to so many times. I really, I really love that one. I wish I was in a mental space where I could enjoy. I like I appreciate that the dueling songs exist, but they they it's like someone's like, "Hey, would you like to hear some noise rock?" <laughs> <laughs> They're all a very particular aesthetic. You have to be yeah. in the in, in the mood for the aesthetic, but that's that, I really love that one. what do you like about it in specific i mean it's such an odd metaphor you know for like you know for like this trapped princess of a girl you know is like the the missing link in evolution you know Mm. who like doesn't go anywhere doesn't have any use for anyone you know and it's not it's not clear in the song you know it's it's tagged to anthe but it also is referring to dios you know it's it's just a really tragic one a lot of the a lot of the duels have really fucking strange names yeah uh, and I like, like Akio's. Um, I think it's. I think it's Akio's one that's a, that's about the prog clock. Um, <laughs> which took, took a few a few listens to identify what's happening there. Yeah, I mean, and then just even the regular songs are named like the Knife of Nectar or Eternal Secret. Yeah. Or to the War Zone down by the castle. <laughs> absolute absolute destiny apocalypse with universal gravitation. <laughs> uh, it reminds me a little bit of, and this is something I've said over and over again, so I just apologize, uh, but. How uh, the episode titles for Genshiken are all like making fun of academic jargon because they're supposed to be one character's uh, graduate thesis. Um, so it's like uh, it's like social considerations in the purchase or absence of purchase of fandom objects or something. And so I, I love whenever I love Japanese academic jargon. Um, it's almost as stiff as German academic jargon. So how uh, Ikuhara puts that into some of his into some of his music titles I think is or whoever does the whoever whoever titles those songs it's very very learned like Scipio's Dream we talked about in <laughs> one of the previous ones and I had to explain that I don't think Scipio's Dream has to do with this duel really but it sounds cool and <laughs> I th- I which think... is the which is the game that Ikuhara is playing with all of us when we watch Utena I, th- I think the the end of um Jury's duel was for me like the visual and like sonic highlight of of the the series for me like it was just like like the the just the anguish that you get 
in a character without even before the, the, it cuts to her fa- her face like just the the total and utter like body language of someone who's just bereft and just like clutching at themselves and just staggering and just like the the way that 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 person is animated is just incredible and then then we get the rain and the music with it and oh, it's just it's just absolutely incredible Dismissiveness of that, that of her throwing away that that rose, just the hand sort of drops to the side, and that the rose drops just like not just like not thrown away angrily, not sort of like disregarded, just hand down and then falls, just gravity alone just pulling it down, and it's just yeah. It- oh, so it's good. not it's so not good. it's not her throwing. It's not like when she throws away the locket. It's it's. The, the rose is just dropped. It's a useless thing. And then she's also surrounded by the the impassive, like the cars, like the, the the soundscape of the rain hitting the cars and the uh, the windshield wipers going, you know, mm. juxtaposed to this like weird dreamlike uh, imagery of Jury sort of, you know, soaking in the defeat and sort of you know passing through this dark point in her life, you know. It, it 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 kind of you know it it, it sort of juxtaposes like her pain and Akio's like desire to just instrumentalize it for his own for his own purposes and like the, like that that his influence is almost always depicted as being sort of like dead objects uh is you know interesting to me and the and and the soundscape specifically in that moment sort of really drove that home because like a a lot of times it's hard to tell what is supposed to actually be there and what is not and Mm -hmm. the rain hitting the cars and the cars you know and you being able to hear the the windshield wipers sort of like you know okay you know you know what is real and what is not you know is is jury's pain real or is it just you know is it is it is it less real than these weird symbolic you know machines that she's surrounded by that all get destroyed when a thousand of them attack Utena while Anthe stands behind her and she cuts every single one in half. Yeah. Um, which could almost be teleported to a shonen anime in terms of <laughs> uh, a shonen anime where you fight cars, I guess. Yeah. And, but... and also just like the, the long shot from the edge of the, uh, the arena, again, sort of like, sort of, you know, is this, you know, just a weird visual metaphor or is this really happening of like the halves of cars all tumbling and scattering off the edge of the, the arena? Like, you know, it's it's a weird detail to include if it's, this is just supposed to be a weird metaphor. And sp- actually, speaking of the of of the arena, uh, an image that that comes up in the uh, in the OP and then uh, ultimately culminates at the very end of the show is that the arena shown in profile looks like a lily. Uh and in the OP, it's sort of sticking out of the 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 chest of the of the prince, uh, and then sort of scatters. And in flower language, the lily means sort of like death, and also, uh, but but more specifically, a release into eternity and purity as a result of death, and which sort of, you know, 
it's it's part of why I think that you know the, the role of the prince is to free people from this world that Akio has created, whereas his role is to keep you there and to and to sully you with it. And the and I mean, this is a world of roses, whereas you know I, I'm I'm not as familiar with like I mean like I think it's like you know like sort of implied to be like love and attachment, but also you know that that you know. To be attached in, you know, some spiritual mindsets is to be trapped uh, and that to evolve and to ascend, you have to release yourself from attachments. And, you know, in some ways, like, you know, the rose is a celebration of life and the lily is a symbol of death. But sometimes, you know, the life that you're attached to is not, you know, is, is what's trapping you. You know, that's something that we see with Anthe over and over again, that, you know, she is this eternal being stuck in, you know, in this coffin that Aki has put her in. Also worth pointing out the Japanese word for Lily is free. I, I, I figured you were going <laughs> to bring that up. <laughs> Some, sometimes, sometimes a Lily is just a lesbian. Also, too. So. Uh. Okay, well, it seems like we're kind of shading over. I do want to mention before we move on from from visuals and sound that um, as someone who loves how much Utena is willing to have characters have motifs that recur, I like that we get a nice cello version of the overture motif, like, uh, and we get a nice cello version of the uh, opening theme. of anime doing a cello or piano version uh of the op music uh that's slower and has less like jap j-pop chanting uh this <laughs> is whatever. probably an absolute reach but now you now you've said that what do you think there's any significance in the fact that the the ending song we 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 hear for the the the, the end the last song we hear is just essentially hummed rather than sung that, that, yeah, the that, scatting version of the theme. Yeah, like this, that, <laughs> yeah. That, that, instead of these words, we just have this tunes. Like, so it's the moment Anthony finally he steps free of all these um, stories which she has been in, had her life controlled by, and there's no words. It's just music. Oh, I find it so liberating, and uh, <laughs> it killed me to watch it on YouTube. That like with the credits, they stuck in the credits without oh, no. Anthe walking. You oh, know, no. yeah, it's just like it's like the not the very last image. The very last image is the image of the the photo that Anthe mm, and Utna yeah. take. You know, where but where like she's, where we have to say she's cut out Akio. And it's, yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Where she's cut out Akio, but just before that, you have Anthe just walking and walking and walking, and the credits on YouTube don't show that. They just they just Aww. went to the regular credits. Um, but yeah, I love that with like the scatting version of the theme. It just feels so like you know. Like she's escaping something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's it makes me sad that um, as the show becomes less about Utena that we we lose like School Scarlet her her theme um, and it kind of gets subsumed into just the uh, the like Prince and Dios theme. Um, as she steps more fully into that position, um, but I I love the show's music. It's it's one of my top soundtracks, and 
um my while i was watching uh, i got inside my own head really badly and ended up watching like one episode a day for two weeks to try to like make sure that i could do a full write-up of each episode um which has paid off i think i think that i've been justified in my extreme overreaction uh but uh but she was she's studying for med school in another room and i'm like i'm sorry that i'm making so much noise and she's like oh i I can't understand the voices so i don't have to pay attention to them and the music's really pretty it's like all like you know like either kind of like nice soft nice soft jazz or um just like really chill classical stuff and yes there's around like 90 seconds of weird abrasive rock uh (laughs) with people like screaming and chanting but then that's done Uh, and and yeah it's just it's the the beauty and nobility of the show itself i think is a big factor in like making it rewarding to rewatch because even if you don't pick up anything it still is like it feels like a fairy tale but a fairy tale that knows the problem with fairy tales and that um i think even we've almost gone without except for katie bringing up the the shadow girls once uh but but even have these like fairy tales within the fairy tale that are like are like nonsense nursery rhymes that never make sense and are oftentimes going a long way just for one pun um, if they're not just directly commenting on the action that just happened. Um, but we do have this kind of fairy tale anime. And I think that the like sumptuous detailed visuals, everyone is in these bright primary colors. And if not primary, then just bright secondary colors. Everything is so vivid. Um, oftentimes, Ikuhara will go against the own effectiveness of the storytelling to give it, to make a striking framing of something. Mm. Um, the way that he goes along with all of the best directors to like crowd one side of the frame and then make us uncomfortable with the other side of the frame being empty or being, or being occupied with something in the distance. Um, and you've got to want, like, I don't know where on campus, the student council, uh, Plaza balcony, what's it, whatever it is. <laughs> like, I, I realized watching this this time that like I kind of always thought it was like halfway up the dueling, the dueling arena elevator. And obviously not. There's just another, tall building is it like off of akio's tower they like go ha- like do they sometimes see akio in the elevator and like get off halfway up um akio comes in and and, and toga's like I'm, I'm sorry i'm doing the abraxas speech uh you gotta <laughs> chill out and then, uh but like there's just like a plaza this like this kind of like empty space where where uh where ukihara can do visual gags like uh nanami in the massage chair uh, which i know is one of Je- one of jeff's favorites <laughs> yep uh, when uh, Jury's like, can I have a turn? And Nanami is like, yeah, which is no, yeah, in <laughs> Japanese. Uh, and it kind of feels like a callback to her cow moo. I don't know. Poor Nanami, always getting clowned on, always getting stunted on. I realized, uh, like, watching this a number of times, because the first time I watched the show, I hated the Nanami comedy episodes. I, like, felt like they dragged everything down. And... Watching it a lot, I don't know. I'm like, they they have important thematic things to say, you know. Uh-huh. Like, they I'm not do. I'm <laughs> not always confident what they are, but I think they they comment on the story in really direct I mean, ways. Some of us, it, it's kind of hard to see if they just like backport because I think like the like the thousand year spice episode has probably the least to say of any episode, including yeah, including recaps. Yeah, that's but just a, like, that's just a body swap. Yeah, like. body switch <laughs> comedy. Anthea and Utena. Um, don't worry. We won't get into how they're like two, maybe two parts of the same half. Just one of them speaks with the other voice and people have the wrong impression of them. 
but uh i do appreciate that they are like thematically weighty but also they aren't as like tense you know that nothing's going to happen here that's going to be building towards a duel which i think is is the duel is the primary function of the like tension and release of the storytelling style mm-hmm. um so it is nice to have an episode where nanami slowly turns into a cow or she keeps <laughs> getting in she keeps having like death attempts against her or the egg one which i think is actually kind of like charming and probably the best of the nanami uh gag episodes mm-hmm. uh just because she's so worried um and when she goes home and she's like toga do you like girls or boys would you prefer girls or boys and toga's like of course girls and she's like good i, I, would, I would want a girl too and toga's like oh no that's not good uh, and she's like well what do you think about girls who lay eggs and she's like if there's one if he's like if there's one thing i like about you it's that you don't lay eggs and she's like she's like she's like fuck i mean is, is, is that actually Toga for once being vaguely good in in saying like he he doesn't see her as a sexual person and that's, <laughs> and that's what the script's actually saying and she's just not equipped to realize and just not i mean it's just kind of dumb sometimes kind of really yeah. dumb <laughs> And then when they ask her why she quit the student council, she's like, yeah, I got tired of that. Actually, the wisest decision you could make. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, like, yeah, like, that's, you know, she was explicitly I mean, conver- doing that because she's like, oh, I want to surpass my brother. I want to prove to him. And then, you know, after losing the duel, she's like, oh, all that was like dumb <laughs> and silly. Yeah. And now yeah. I'm like judging all of you guys for still being embroiled in it. You know, when they're playing badminton, I mean, she's like, what the hell is wrong with you people? Like, this is fucked yeah. up. Really What's going on? But she's given up. Like the anatomy we yeah. see at the end is so defeated. I think like, and they even, they even point that out that when everybody else is, they say like, Utna has gone into the dueling ring, you know, representing all of us duelists, you know, so mm-hmm. she's going to bring revolution to all of us. Nanami takes off her ring. She's the only one who does, you know, and mm-hmm. she's already given up at that point. She can't believe in Utna. But you I think know. it's because I think it's to go back to the deeper stuff. I think it's because she she probably. I think that it's it's interesting that she seems to have one of the best assessments of what's actually going on, and she thinks that she's disgusted by it, and her choice is mm-hmm. to walk away. And I think that the show thinks that that's the wrong choice, like walking away from a situation of of toxicity and abuse. Um, helps no one except yourself, but Nanami's always kind of been in it for herself, not so much as her brother, um, who found a, a secret stash of, of chivalry and nobility at the very end of the of the show um, and didn't share it with, with Nanami. But mm-hmm. I do think that it, it is it is just having seen Anthe and Akio and having tried to warn Utna and failed, she just she just doesn't doesn't want to be involved in it anymore and she thinks it's dumb games which granted like the playing games and the word games get thrown on a lot especially with how akio understands it and so i do think that there is some evidence that nanami has approached akio's assessment of his own bullshit and she decides to wash her hands of it yeah she's so disillusioned you know she's so disillusioned that she can't she can't keep fighting anymore, but that's going to keep her in prison. You know, she's one yeah. of the people who who needs revolution. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, what, I just had a, this is a, a completely on off the cuff thought <laughs> on, on that. This is not something I had previously th- considered. But as we discussed, Nanami's cons- considerably younger than the rest of the cast is perhaps one way of looking at her her final situation as that she's being allowed to continue her childhood that she hasn't yet reached 
But while the rest are moving forward and in some cases finding self-actualization, in some cases reverting to type, Nanami's just being allowed to be a child for a bit longer and not being forced to become an adult before she's ready for it. I think she deserves that. I, you know, mm. I would, I, I think she deserves it, but I find that last image of her as the Rose Bride, you know, as, as Anthe, you know, just picking up after her brother, really tragic, you know, and I think it, you know, I, I, I want her to have that. I want her to have a childhood, you know, but I also think, you know, there's this inevitability that like, if you don't fight, this is, this is all you'll ever be given. Okay. Yeah. 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 She's the same age as actually she's, uh, according to the, to utina.fandom.com slash wiki, uh, our sponsor for this episode. Uh, she was born on August 8th, 1984, which makes her 13. She is, uh, she is five months older than Mickey, who is the youngest uh, non-Suabuki character. Is. <laughs> yeah, they're both in the same grade. Um, she, and, she and Mickey are. It's really weird that, they have, that, the, that the wiki has uh, their, their age with a year date um, to show you exactly when this show takes place, uh, and also their sun sign and moon sign in the zodiac. If you just want to go completely out of out of control with like weird character analysis, does it give Akio and uh, uh, one? That's, uh, that's a good question. Because <laughs> like... that seems that seems unfair to tie them to a specific birthday. <laughs> uh, his birthday is September September fifteenth, but his age and year of birth are unknown. Okay, so he's a Virgo. Uh, I don't know enough about I don't know enough about uh, astrology. To... <laughs> Venus is the morning star. Yeah, that's so... true. That's true. Oh, that's right. Yeah. What What is Auntie's birthday? <laughs> uh, she's a Pisces. Um, she uh, She was born on a leap year. <laughs> so, uh, so February twenty ninth slash March first is her birthday. So what? How old would a sixteen year old leap year old uh, be? Uh, the, the, the after her her birthday, it says physically fourteen, probably much older age wise. <laughs> oh Jesus! Uh-huh. Occupation Rose Bride. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going there was occupation. Uh, I think like my final final thing before we completely disappear from the visual was was. There's one one shot. Um, at, I think it was at the start of an episode where it's just vertical and horizontal slices of a scene of Akio and uh, Anthe sort mm. of post whatever they, they they do at night, and it's them her sort of getting dressed and just these half glimpsed things, and it, it ends with this first sense that the real resentment um, Akio seems to feel towards her. He he, I can't remember his exact line, but he says, says something like, "Do you enjoy always enjoy torturing me so?" And like, mm-hmm. there's some sense that that some part of him realizes what a complete and utter shit he's being, but he, but he blames that as as we're saying, he blames Anthony for that rather than himself. And she, we get a, a once again, we get a little smile from her at that, and it's it's like to me, I read that as like, "Do you not realize this is you?" You, not me and mm-hmm. like it was just like that decision to to cut vertically and horizontally and just have like this piece of the screen allows them to frame your gaze exactly on her mouth when she and to let this tiny gesture of sort of contempt for him show through that's a that's a, a great point yeah um 
We want to move to funny or cute or nice things that we like. The 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 palate cleanser after we've talked about a show that I think has been incredibly put forward as at least partially about abuse and patriarchy. Well, it's, a, a, mm-hmm. it's commonly known uh, Wackaber and Choo Choo. Oh, I do have one thing that I want to ask uh, real quick, and I think only really Katie will have something substantive to say about this, but who knows? You can, you can surprise me. Um, unlike Akio, I'm willing to have my, my game disrupted. Uh, but so, so during the shadow play of, uh, of Akio and Anthe's backstory, there's this running joke that they, that the prince keeps trying to kiss her, but she looks away and so he's saying chew. And as we know, kiss, the, the word for kiss or the onomatopoeia for kiss and the onomatopoeia for a mouse squeaking are the same thing. So is the fact that, is there anything conceivably at all in the fact that there's this running joke repeated three times in the show um, of the princess never giving back the chew in the fact that she has a pet mouse monkey named Choo Choo? Or is that just me completely going Jeff on this? <laughs> well, it, you say that. Like there is this whole thing of like, of like Auntie withholding her kiss is kind of like, like she, you get busy with Auntie, but but there's much fewer much fewer instances of her of her kissing people right yeah that's that sounds legit to me i mean i it went over my head but i think it's legit i like it as uh, a ever since fully cooly where you have a character uh, who's obsessed with someone getting kissed in one episode and they put on a mouse costume at one point cuz it's fully cooly and they're like kiss kiss but they're also <laughs> saying squeak squeak cuz they're a mouse cuz this so- is what we know about the rose bride is she says i thought i was a doll without a heart you know and then that's mm-hmm. that's echoed again in the movie which I know, you know, as, as outside the scope of this podcast, but like, <laughs> but like in the movie, you know, you can come back. I mean, you're like, always welcome back. <laughs> but in the movie, we do see that she's missing a heart, you know, that that's the reason that's how she's able to generate the sword. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that could totally tie in with that. Yeah, so I do wonder. So there's this at the end, there's this this moment um, when Akio's about to send out the next set of invitations to the duelists and um Anthony comes up and tells him that she's about to to leave and she hands back she she puts her glasses down and Choo Choo's been there sitting on the desk with with him and he seems I I I'm not sure if it's just something obscured by the shot but it looks very much like that Choo Choo hands over his tie and a ring and Yeah it's his earring yeah that's right the the things that connect him to Akio. Yeah, and I wasn't sure if th- if that was like the ring was the, a ring as like Choo Choo was somehow s- oh symbolizing the the fact that because obviously a, ri- a ring and a wedding and a bride and I was wondering if if there was like some like if Choo Choo's earring is in fact like Anthe's rose bride wedding ring in a, in a, in some weird way. Mm. No, he's got a pirate earring, like like Akio's style. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know if I don't know if the earring's gotten an additional significance. I honestly don't know. Because it's like, why does he hand it back? Is it is it a rejection of Akio? Is it a rejection? Of I think it's a rejection Brock? of Akio because I think he's 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 getting rid of the symbols that tie him to Akio. But what those symbols mean in the first place, I'm not really sure. <laughs> yeah, that's that's that's. that's also kind of dumb. So <laughs> maybe he's just like, oh, uh, uh, oh, uh, Auntie's giving giving her glasses back. I guess I'll just take off all my clothes. And <laughs> that also is is like a weird sort of 
uh, born from an egg uh, egg thing as well. Yeah. <laughs> so who knows what's going on I, with him? I really like the part when uh, when Anthony is leaving and Choo Choo's going with her, and he has his like tearful goodbye with the frog. The frog who croaks whenever somebody yeah. is clowning on Nanami <laughs> because we've learned that every like gag and thing is act like actually diegetically exists in this world <laughs> and I, I love that as a frog prince thing as well like as she's rejecting her 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 her, her, her prince he's rejecting the frog as well <laughs> so like both ends of the fairy tale uh what else uh I, well, if I no one's if no one's gonna mention i'm gonna mention the motorcycle and sidecar when, when yeah. toga and sayanji hang <laughs> so out so good yeah, i love oh man see that's on that <laughs> go ahead jeff you have a much stronger reaction i was than just me. gonna say like the, the yeah, because like like you were saying, like Toga is trying to basically, you know, he he idolizes Akio as a model for uh, maturity and for adulthood. But his like, cause, but he's still a child. Like he's, I, what is he? Yeah. You go to the wiki up. Is what is he? Fourteen in the show? As um, well? I don't anymore. Since he... <laughs> he's got to be like sixteen or something. He's got to be older than Utna, but yeah, but not I that guess old. yeah. She calls him senpai, so. But yeah, like his his, um, his wow. attempt. He doesn't. He doesn't, at, he doesn't like, have a birth. He doesn't have a birthday or no. or uh, anything. Okay. We don't know when he was born. His occupation is student council member, but not student council <laughs> president. I guess. Uh, anyway, yeah, like, sorry. His, go his, ahead. His, his attempt at like Akio's sex car is to drive Seonji around <laughs> on a motorcycle with Seonji in the uh, in the sidecar, and yeah, you were saying uh, you, the. Uh, you know, the culmination of all of the, you know, the scenes with Akio is that he like leaps out and sort of dramatically drapes himself on the front of the car. And Seonji sort of, you know, mimics that, you know, stands up and, you know, you know, in this in the sidecar while it's driving. And, you know, Toga's just like, sit down, that's dangerous. And he's like, mm, yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> oh, there was, oh, yeah. I, I, there was uh, a, a nice little bit of conversation, like like Shanji's almost sulking for being in the sidecar because he doesn't like not being in control. It's like, yeah. <laughs> well, it's a very it's a very telling evocation of Sanji's relationship with Toga. Sanji yeah. is seventeen years old, apparently. So Toga okay. is at least older than that. That's yeah. something um, I love in that scene, and like in in all the Sayanji and Toga interactions, like late in the series, is that like Sayanji, in terms of like shoujo manga imagery, is like a classic yaoi bottom, and he <laughs> would hate that. He would hate that. That would drive him crazy. You and know, then in that, the, like <laughs> in the very end of Toga and Utna's last uh, duel, he charges at her on the motorcycle with Sayanji in the sidecar steering for him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is like a moment of like, oh, he's he's taking control at that moment, and he's like become equal with Toga at that moment to support him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't really know how to feel about Sanji as a character because he, kind of like Nanami, kind of like everyone who has to spend a lot of time around Toga, I guess, um, <laughs> he seems very aware of what's of what's being done to him, and he seems to be aware that it's not okay, but he just doesn't have the emotional maturity to to respond mm -hmm. to it in any way besides trying to be like trying to beat Toga's at his own game. And it, up until the very end of the show, Toga can walk in and be like, Hey, let's duel. And Sanji's like, I thought you quit. And he's like, no, I didn't quit. Let's, let's duel. Um, and, to and Sanji's like, fine. Okay. He's like always down to try to beat Toga at his own game and always loses. And I, I, I feel a lot of sorrow for that, even as he is like 
the person who to the very end denies the personhood of Anthe in the show is that he's he's just learned that there's this there's this high power hierarchy and you need to climb as high as you can by stepping on other people's heads and he learned that from Toga. He, Toga's <laughs> taught him that his entire life and it's kind of it's 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 very weird to watch the show like clown on him like it clowns on Nanami um when these are both people who've like dealt with a, a lifetime of abuse and just become kind of terrible people because of it. Uh yeah. Like when they just put him in an apron or have him just like sat at home oh, alone when he's cooking when eggs, he's like living off campus or whatever, or living in Wakaba's apartment. Oh yeah, the the, the um the the other like n- nice little moment and is is like related to that was um in Mickey's episode like every time uh Akio does his little backflip over the windshield, everyone else <laughs> else sort of like. Just takes it in their 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 stride, doesn't bat an eyelid. But in in Mickey's one, Mickey's like eyes <laughs> shut. Oh, what what the hell are you doing? And I, I like it that that Mickey's the only one who actually reacts to it. And then like like, <laughs> like they they, they it, or they, is he reacting to his sister stripping in the pass the front passenger seat, uh, which apparently she a, there's is. A, there's another moment which which I love about that is is that she takes off her 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 tie, her her sort of like symbol of being part of the thing, just holds it up and it just like flies back into Mickey's face like a blindfold, and. Then we cut to to him imagining uh, her as um, Anthe, and it's just like this 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 wonderful little, little visual trick. Oh, yeah, no, I mean it's very cute. One thing that's not like funny or cute, but is interesting is uh, when Akio is doing his final like tear down of of Utena's personality to make try to make her submit to him. We see her in the Black Rose saga like elevator but instead of the the butterfly and leaf and caterpillar on the wall it's just the princess dress it is a very nice thing of like this is literally reducing her to her constituent elements like the like the butterfly turning into the into the cocoon and then the leaf is just saying like oh you're a princess here's your dress put it on live in a castle with me even though i've shown that the castle's a prison that dios can't escape from so <laughs> I mean, you've you've brought up um, that again, and one of the other images that gets showed to her is the fact that uh, it's the coffin, and mm-hmm. um, Utena's and Anthe's relationship to the coffin, um, like for for most of the series, the only person we've ever seen in a coffin is Utena, and then obviously mm-hmm. at the very end we see Anth- that Anthe's been in one along, and obviously um, Katie's mentioned that. Partly that could be because they are reflections of one on another. But why were the free coffins in the first place? It, it doesn't make sense. Like, like I think there was um well, in the scene you know, with Toga and Sayanji, they say that they're all in coffins. Yeah, and then yeah. also the, the, there's three coffins because the other two coffins were Utna's parents. Yeah, but what, the then why have you got a coffin for Utna? Why, is what she's I mean. asking why is there a third coffin? Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they, that's what they say is that um, is that they brought a third coffin, and she was like, "What? What is this third coffin here? Assume, presumably, is a mistake, you know." And she's yeah. like, "What's mm-hmm. it here for? If not for me?" Okay, mm-hmm. I didn't remember that part. Obviously, <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. There's a lot of show to keep track of. Yeah, that's why we brought. Kate, that's um, literally why we brought Katie here so that she could <laughs> she could correct me on whether Akio or Utna, or Akio or Anthe said uh, that all women are rose brides and et cetera, et cetera. I did like speaking of quotes that I do have. 
correctly at attributed. I, I when um they go through the ritual on the Anthe and Akio near the end, um Anthe says, knowing everything of the world, you chose this path. And Akio says, and knowing everything of you, I love you. That's again very, very abusive things to say. Uh that like she that she um that his behavior is blamed on the world, but her behavior is blamed on herself. And yeah, I don't know. It's 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 a a lot of the specific phrasings of the lines haven't hitherto worked for me um, on a conspicuous level, but there's just so much importunist stuff being said in the final arc. Um, and there's lots of, I don't know. I mean, we already talked about like the pun, the, 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 uh, the bowling ball slash egg puns. They're just, it feels like it's a show that is, as Katie said, like focusing a lot more on the language, even than the show's striking visuals, which are very striking. The whole talk of the sound that races through the end of the world, whatever that means. <laughs> so it's a car, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I assume it's like just the sound of your heartbeat. It's always what I, because like he's like depicted as the end of Akio is obviously the end of the world, and he is mm-hmm. is depicted as like sort of reveling in those moments, and so the sound that sort of of goes through the end of the world is his heartbeat, and that's what what. what Togus keeps telling people to listen for, yeah. to, to listen for, to basically listen to their desires, their heart beating. So that's if their soul is not truly given up. Oh, but it's I, funny because I... then later on he teach, he seduces them by being like, "Hey, engine, doesn't this engine feel good? Doesn't it sound good?" Uh, anyway, now I'm going to tell you about the end. Of- I, I love love the little visual gags like, for some of the reveals like that. Like uh, I think it's the Mickey <laughs> one where, where up until now the cars always screeched to, in front of people, and in the Mickey one it, it just sort of like they're standing in front of a they're standing in front of a fountain, and the fountain just sounds you just sort of like spreads his arms and goes ah, and and then just the fountain slowly peels back and the car's been there all along. And, I like when they're by a big bay window and the car comes in through the bay window <laughs> with it, with the smash of glass. Um, All right, closing comments, saying saying goodbye to the series, knowing that the movie is more of a, a retelling than an, another installment. Are, are, I'm I'm glad to hear that you're glad you watched it. I Jeff, are you glad you watched it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I I mean this I think is an iconic and important show for so many people for a good reason. Like there's a lot to chew on here and. There's one thing that I like to do is yeah. to chew on confusing stuff, especially if I think there's actually, <laughs> you know, something to be learned and something to be drawn from it. And I really think that Ikahara is a rare talent in that he is able to inundate you with these like weird with this weird imagery. But it's not just like it's it's not somebody being clever and it's not somebody just being weird for weird sake. There's there's there is, you know, an emotional, you know, heart to everything that he does. And it. It makes you know everything he, he does a joy to watch, and I look forward to watching more of his stuff too, and rewatching it. <laughs> yeah, I'm apologize in advance for how for how Penguin Drum and Yuri Kuma Arashi will fall short Ooh. of the majesty of Utada. I like Penguin Drum a lot. Don't don't. I like Penguin Drum, but it is not it is not razor sharp like this. Like this, everything in in Utana feels intentional, even when it's obviously Ikuhara clowning. And I think mm-hmm. Penguin Drum has less focus than that but i'm looking forward to rewatching it i mean i i got a lot of nourishment out of this as i've said previously in other episodes katie how is it to rewatch this show for the nth time oh my god i never get tired of it i mean it's like <laughs> I, I was like I, I don't even know how to describe it because it's like saying my favorite anime or my favorite favorite tv series isn't really enough it's like my favorite media work you know but like <laughs> 
but yeah i feel like ikahara's other work i i enjoy it um but like it made it very clear to me that the thing i love so much in utna is the collaboration of everyone mm-hmm. who worked on it and not just like just his contribution um because his other works don't hit the same way for me um yeah be papas the, the yeah short-lived uh production collective can i ask a uh, uh, katie a quick question have did you ever watch um a similar vintage anime called um princess tutu yeah a long time ago yeah did we watch it for our for our anime night at one point did we i don't know i might have missed that (laughs) okay maybe because we watched we we had an anime club uh back when we lived in the same town and i i watched it around that time i was pretty sure i watched it with people but maybe i didn't because i'm 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 they treat it i feel like it 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 treads a lot of the the same ground and as as utina but in a a, a more meta way a a way which is more even more obsessed with the idea of stories and less obsessed with the idea of what those stories mean which utina obviously goes in heavy on i just i just wondered if if like you 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 would still you if it's the meat of utina which really makes it your the one which is stuck with you or or if a show which has a similar interest in the metafiction would would still be something you'd you'd be intoxicated by. I think it's the particular story for me, um, because to to like I know I was massively disappointed by Madoka, <laughs> you know, which is like the one that's like often compared to Utna, and it just didn't have the same kind of depth of characterization for me, and it didn't it didn't have the same kind of meaning, you know. So I feel like sort of like playing around with the idea of the magical girl and the stories you can tell with it is, is interesting to me, but I feel like there's something in Utna that I'm just like, I don't know. There's something in the story that I just find to be very true in a very personal way. I mean, I think if you, if you are so connected to Anthe as a character, you don't get many Anthe's in stories. Yeah. I think. Yeah. At God, least not it was the full like, spectrum of herself. It's heartbreaking watching like Evangelion just after Utna, because I, I love Evangelion, but like, they they cannot stop objectifying like Ray and Asuka and and they're and they're so close to a character like Anthe, you know? They're so mm-hmm. close to like this this very vivid characterization of what's it like to be an abused girl who's really trapped, you know, and then you get you get stuck back at this like we're we're gonna just see him through Shinji's eyes again. You know, and it's it, it's hard mm-hmm. it's a hard watch that way because you know Shinji's yeah. Shinji's not trapped in that way, but the girls are. Yeah. And and, and, and Anthe is Evangelion never been... as a show is really is really married to Shinji's point of view. Like, almost everything in the show is very closely. I mean, that's why at the end of Evangelion, spoilers if you haven't watched Evangelion, but you're listening to an anime podcast for some reason. um, Especially this one. Especially this one, that we literally just sit inside his head and hear him him work through his issues. And that does mean that the women don't get the the same, like, personhood that they otherwise would i don't think it's necessarily a flaw of the work but it is frustrating and what were you saying jeff about anthe oh i was just gonna say that anthe you know despite being a similar character has never been subjected to the same uh you know literal objectification of like weird sexy toy lines and statues and wall scrolls like I I bet I can find an Anthe body pillow right now on eBay. <laughs> but would it be one from Comicet, or would it be one that's like an official, uh, an official Few thing? Few things have been merchandised as much as Eva. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've collected a lot. <laughs> yeah, I've collected a lot of merchandise from Utna, and yeah, it's not. It doesn't really objectify the girls. It's like mm-hmm. it's 
it's it's a, it's a different kind of thing. There's a lot of duelist yeah. rings. Those are popular. Yeah. Yeah. Anno is just like shaking his fist at Ikahara. How did you do it? How did you make a thing that <laughs> is about like, you know, exposing patriarchy and shitting on all the terrible things that men do to it and not have it just turn around and become one of those things? <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be fair, like ev- a lot of Evangelion's grosser stuff is just because they don't have a great control. <laughs> like yeah. uh, like uh, Gynax was falling apart financially. But uh, no, the only two I can... There's one of Utena charging at you with a sword, which is a very weird thing to put on a body pillow. And then there's one of just Akio and Utena hanging out. Like, Utena's holding some white roses, uh, but they're just kind of chilling. Um, Akio's really off-model. I'm trying to so... figure out, like, what, what is the, the the worst, best merchandise you could make for Utena? And, and like, the thing which came to mind was, like, you could have, like, an anti-sword sharpener for your knives... Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Draw your, you choose your vote. No, it'd be a Sanji body pillow. <laughs> body pillow. Walk up a body pillow. Oh, good a car on one side and a motorcycle on the other. Not, not much, not much walk of her this, this, oh, and she, she's like the only, only one who, who sort of really remembers Uten has gone and mm-hmm. at the end. And it's, it's like, and she, although she, we do, am I wrong in thinking she, it's the Onion Prince who's, who, like she, she, it's implied that she and the Onion Prince are a couple now. Is it? I didn't notice that. Yeah, I don't mm. know. That seems plausible, but uh, yeah, I don't remember it. I do remember getting... her kind of becoming the next Utna. In yeah. the yeah, because she's that. getting tackled by another girl. Yeah, yeah. In, like, you know, in a scene that mirrors the one from early in the series. Yeah, I thought the boy to her left was the Onion Prince. And yeah, it might be. It could have been. And and they previously they they were talking in the. The, when you hear the girls talking in the classroom about oh who was Utina, and you you hear you you see Wakaba sort of getting annoyed at them and 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 saying oh yeah why don't you remember her and all that and and, th- and then it cuts to her so- them saying oh you've got a boyfriend now and and it cuts to her sort of like sulking and then and then it's the window with her next to the guy which I assume is the Onion Prince so, yeah it's it's nice that that Wakaba has somehow managed to find happiness in all this especially after after she gave the terrible advice that there being no such thing as wrong love which was <laughs> yeah. Thing that... yeah just getting away from sionji is like you know is a... yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That, 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 that's a that's a win for anyone i think yeah. yeah well good i'm glad we did this uh i was I, it's nice to go to this after Monogatari series because as much as i enjoyed Monogatari series i I feel weird proselytizing for Monogatari series, but I'm always happy to proselytize for Revolutionary Girl Utena because it's it's one of the big ones that people should know, and I think that they often don't because, well, first of all, because the title's not very descriptive, uh, and second, because it's just like a shoujo battler, which is such a weird genre that there's not that many natural synergies unless you're looking for the guy who did the good seasons yeah. of Sailor Moon. And and it's, so. it's also a difficult sell to say you've only got to watch thirty nine episodes twice and you'll get it. Bless <laughs> well, Ikuhara in general. I mean, it's it's too bad that Utena doesn't have the Evangelion pitch of where you can just lie and tell someone that something doesn't matter and then they'll figure out it does matter at the end because that's how people do it. Like, oh yeah, the Gnostic symbolism and like the weird millenarian stuff doesn't matter. It's really just a psychological show. And then like, no, they all matter. It all matters. Uh, yeah. So I'm glad we did this. We should. We'll be doing the uh, the movie, and um, I think we'll have another guest on. Possibly, she's gotten busy since she moved. 
uh, to discuss uh, the movie and the stage adaptations with us. And you're welcome back to Katie if you want, but that's no pressure. We can do sure, that. Sure, I, I, I would, I would totally <laughs> come back. <laughs> Uh, I don't know how to, what I'm going to say about the movie because all I remember about the movie is like, wow, it's just like they had to fit the whole show in in two hours, <laughs> uh, and they just like fuck all the subtlety. We're just going to have all the heavy stuff, but we'll see if that that impression stays. Uh, but yeah, so catch that soon. It probably won't be as big as a gap as it was between uh, between the Black Rose arc and the Apocalypse arc because uh, we had an apocalypse. There was a, there was a <laughs> pandemic. Yes, uh, the world is being revolutionized, but. Probably not in the way that we would hope. Yeah. Uh, although I, I hold out hope. I'm not going to anonymy this one. So, uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you use. Find us on Twitter at KeyframesPod. Find us on Facebook. Search for Keyframes Podcast. Email us questions, keyframespodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget that uh, our next main episode is going to be about parents and the lack thereof in anime as well as us talking <laughs> probably about Rent-A-Girlfriend again, because, uh, man, it's gotten bad. Why are you doing and this to yourself, Ben? Yes, tell a friend about Revolutionary Galudna. It's If you're in the United States, it's free on YouTube, dub and sub, uh, I guess as a way to upsell you to buy the incredibly gorgeous Blu-rays. So, yeah, say goodbye, everybody. Thanks for coming, Katie. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Goodbye, and, goodbye and thank you.